Podcast Revolution Network presents The Way with Noah. Greetings and welcome to this edition of The Way of Fanoa. I recently sat down with three awesome women, Lindsay, Kyla, and Jessica, um, about a documentary, Care and Chaos, uh, which explores the growing threat, some may say a resurging threat, uh, to safe and legal abortion access. And in talking about safe and legal abortion access, we're in this instance, we're talking about the actual physical ability, physical access of people to actually get to and receive treatment at a clinic. Um, in terms of anti-choice activists, you know, physically impeding, obstructing, deterring um, people's ability to, 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 to cross that final threshold uh, of receiving treatment. Um, it's, it's, really, it's really interesting, you know, and this comes out in the course of our conversation, that so many people think that this is something that, you know, happened a long time ago. It doesn't really happen anymore in terms of these protests and things like that nature. But as we see in this in this documentary, Care and Chaos, that this is actually not only a recurring and continuing problem, but it's 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 pretty um, invasive. It's 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 very uh, flagrant. It's 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 disheartening. And and people in some instances, based on, you know, our conversation will gather in the hundreds outside of clinics or in this case, this one, the one clinic in Charlotte to scare, deter. I mean, it's, it's really a form of terror. Like people don't understand, like when you, when you have made the decision to have an abortion and for some women, it may not be, I think we, when we were discussing it, I know from my own personal experience, it is a heavy, it's a heavy decision. It's a heavy conversation. If you have anyone to talk through it with, um, if you're making it on your own, I mean, it's heavy. You know, for some women, it's it's a very difficult. For some people, it's not. That doesn't mean that there's anything less, you know, right about their decision making process. But it's heavy, is is I think the best way we we we, you know, collectively found to describe this. Um, but it's definitely a decision for each individual woman to make. You know, as she sees fit within the parameters of her own life. It is not for you know screaming strangers on a sidewalk to decide for you what you should and should not be doing. Just like it isn't for senators, you know, sitting somewhere in a room discussing what really is a conversation between me and my doctor, right? Um, so it's really interesting. And, and even though there are federal laws in 14 states, including North Carolina and, and as well as the District of Columbia, um, you know, even though there are, sta- there are laws to protect abortion clinics, providers, and their patients, you know, issues with arson, you know, threats of violence, death, vandalism, you know, these things still continue to be an issue. And oftentimes law enforcement are like, meh, you know, and it, and it's, it's, it's quite the challenge to get, you know, an actual, you know, reaction and enforcement. I mean, you'll see this in, in, in the documentary itself and it's frustrating. So you have not only people who are trying to provide a service and care, right? You have volunteers from, um, you know, different organizations will, if depending upon where you are, may show up to kind of help um, manage, you know, the flow of things. 
but still it's 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 one thing to have your beliefs right but when your beliefs are impeding upon other people's personal action and ability to exercise something for themselves right it's not like we're stopping you know people from being you know child abusers um something like really high order and I'm, I'm sure there are people out there who might believe that's what they're doing but what you believe and what reality is are two totally different things and it does not give anyone the right to dictate to mandate and to superimpose upon any woman that takes upon it herself to make this decision what she should be doing with her body I mean, that's just, that's just the bottom line. So I really appreciate this conversation. I really appreciate being able to, to tease out a couple of different things. You know, there's a little conversation about, you know, free speech and, and the difference of balancing constitutional rights. And bottom line, your personal rights to speak and say whatever do not impose on my individual right to do what I'm going to do in terms of my health care and my body. And... And like I like I, I acknowledge that my own experience has been very I hate to say it's been privileged, but I've I never had to deal with this type of, you know, trauma on top of what for some of us can still be a very emotional and heavy, you know, experience. Um, you know, this was actually kind of hard for me personally, um, just because it is such a heavy topic. It's not something I've ever talked about publicly. Uh, you know, we've seen in recent, in the past year, especially different women sharing their own abortion stories. And this is not about me. So this is not the time for that. But at the same time, I definitely recognize uh, the great work that Cal and her staff have to do to make sure that it's, it's not more cumbersome than it would have to be. Um, because even you know, I mean, even go just going to the doctor for any regular procedure that any of us would go to, right? It makes all the difference if the staff is pleasant, if the environment is pleasant, it puts you at ease. So can you only imagine the increased anxiety and, and stress that is put upon someone when you are being accosted visually, uh, verbally, and in some instances because of the physical barrier, physically to being able to pursue, you know, your right to do something. And in this case, that, that right is access to, to accessing abortion. And, and, and also note, like, what, what I really appreciate, I can't remember who pointed this out in our conversation. Um, again, you know, Kyla, Lindsay, and Jessica were awesome to talk to, full of a lot of information. Definitely check out Rewire to see what else they have going on. But the conversation, just, just noting that, these anti-choice activists and calling them anti-choice is actually really smart as well but these anti-choice activists will actually show up at places that aren't even abortion that, that do not even you know uh perform abortions to still raise raise heck and will still you know cause issues and traumatize people just going to get birth control pills but they're making their point i mean this really is a type of terrorism like they're really trying to inflict the such fear in people and restrict their ability to do things that they won't seek you know in some cases in many cases in all cases what 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 is felt necessary for that personal situation so I appreciate this conversation definitely check out Karen Chaos definitely share and if you do live in places where this is happening if you have the time or if you can go volunteer to be a support person, please do so. Um, 
this is an issue that keeps getting raised and I don't know that people necessarily pay attention to it. I don't know that I've necessarily paid attention to it as much. You know, we focus again so much on the legislative attacks, right? Or we won't focus on politicians saying dumb things like, uh, it's okay if we support anti-choice candidates. It's okay if we compromise. No, it's not. It's not. It's not okay that you compromise on our rights. It's not okay that you compromise on our ability to be safe in pursuing and accessing, you know, needed health care. It's not okay. It is not. And I definitely, um, you know, stand with women who are willing to take this on head on. And I look forward to learning more myself. And I'll definitely share with everyone about what we can do to be supportive of some of the conversations that we had. Or, you know, if you know that there are city council meetings or things like that going on, go show support. Right. What you can do. I know at least you can do it here. I'm sure you can do it in other places as you can sign up for time and yield your time. Know what the procedures are. But if there's an advocate in your community, you can yield time so they have enough time on the floor to get their point across. People do it in other instances. Um, volunteer to be a support person actually at a, at a center in your community. You know, counter protest. Be there to show support. You know, think about like how people handle the Westboro, you know, fanatics because that's kind of what this is like. Um, but there's so much that, that, that goes into this and there's such a robust conversation so you just have to hear it for yourself um, and make sure you share. Thank you. Good afternoon. Thank you guys for joining me. I appreciate being able to talk to you very much about a very, uh, very important um, work that, you, that, you, that you've done with this documentary. Um, so thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so yeah, for those who are just you know, catching up with, with everything that's been going on. This is an amazing documentary. It's a Rewire original documentary. If you are not familiar with Rewire, you should be familiar with Rewire. Um, Rewire is a pretty, and I, I'm saying this, and I'm, I'm actually pretty excited because Jess is actually someone I, I admire very much with her work, and I'm being exposed to some other phenomenal women who do great work as well. Um, Rewire has a pretty awesome team of writers. Um, and, and obviously we do other multimedia work, including this documentary, Care and Chaos. Um, I was just wondering if, um, you know, if one of you could just come to just set the stage, Care and Chaos, what are we talking about and why is this important? Um, I guess I'll start. Um, Care and Chaos is a documentary about abortion access in two cities, uh, Fargo, North Dakota, and Charlotte, North Carolina, and they both have very active anti-choice protester presences outside these abortion clinics. But in Fargo, North Dakota, the rule of law prevails, and in Charlotte, unfortunately, outside the clinic, it's just absolute, just absolute chaos because the police either can't or won't exist. If the police either can't or won't enforce the laws that govern you know, behavior outside the clinic in terms of traffic stuff, in terms of noise, in terms of all kinds of stuff like that. So, so we wanted to set out to understand what really made the difference between those two places. And it's important because mm -hmm. um, abortion rights are being challenged all over the country right now in various ways, and they have a really hostile federal government in power. The Republicans control a lot of state houses and local governments, and uh, abortion is just taking place in hostile territory, and everybody has to be prepared. Right, right. We've seen this, we've seen this ongoing debate. Um, someone in this context, someone, someone really more so with this, you know, ongoing conversation now about, you know, the growing uh, uh, scourge that is, uh, scourge that is white supremacy, right? About freedom of speech. 
you know, and there are those out there that will argue that these protesters have freedom of speech, that they're just exercising their constitutional rights. What's wrong with that argument? Well, what's problematic and challenging, you know, if we're talking about advocating for abortion rights and for the women who actually endure this behavior, how is it problematic the way in which, you know, the government, whether it's, you know, uh, 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 the police by inaction, right, or those who will support, and not, not that I'm saying that anti-free speech folks listening, but at the same time, there's, there's a big attention here to see free speech and protect protesters in the right of women to be able to, you know, get access to the care they need. I would say okay. that the problem of people framing it as this absolute thing, like, oh, free speech mm-hmm. means you have the right to block the road, free speech means that you have the right to bombard a medical facility with extremely loud noise. That's not what free speech means. We have right. really expensive First Amendment because you can express all kinds of far-out crazy ideas. You can even say that we should, in a kind of general way, overthrow the government as long as you're not advocating violence in the here and now. But you don't have the right to – that there's this long tradition of time, place, and manner restrictions on speech. So you don't have the right necessarily to use a bullhorn or you don't have a right to use it at all hours of the night or in any volume that you want. And there are legitimate laws that even the ACLU acknowledges as long as you're not targeting the content of someone's speech, as long as you're not saying, well, you can't make a huge noise outside a medical facility because you're a neo-Nazi or because you're an anti-choicer. It's, as long as you're not doing that, it's perfectly reasonable to have laws that govern how people express themselves. And, and there's no problem with that. And it really, it's the, the real violation of rights is when those laws aren't enforced evenly, possibly because of mm-hmm. because these authorities are sympathetic to a certain kind of speech. And I would just want to jump in and add, too, that we've seen the Supreme Court recognize that the First Amendment also, free speech um, protections, also includes the right to be left alone. And Justice Stevens explicitly writes about this in Hill v. Colorado, which is the decision that upholds the ability of the states uh, to enact buffer zones around abortion clinics, like the kind of um, regulations that Lindsay was just talking about in addition to local ordinances that affect protests generally. And so um, that remains true. And we see it, for example, when the court talks about the Westboro Baptist protests at U.S. Army veterans funerals um, and the right of those families to not be compelled to hear speech that is hurtful or offensive directed at them. Um, And so I think it's important when we talk about um, this free speech issue that we realize this is a polit- this is an intentionally politically framed one as well. Uh, mm-hmm. The Supreme Court mm-hmm. did that in its follow-up buffer zone decision um, involving the Massachusetts buffer zone case when it didn't mention the rights anywhere in the decision at all of um, the patients and the providers and their support. Um, the people they have with them to support to be to be left alone. It was they were legitimately written out of the le- of the legal opinion, and instead the entire framing was what rights should anti-abortion protesters and activists have to physically confronting patients and providers at the front door. And as Lindsay has also pointed out, you know this is this is up to law enforcement. But one of and an additional. Um, you know, attacks on abortion rights statewide. So by the time the patients are crossing the threshold to get to see their provider, they have already navigated waiting periods. They have already navigated probably mandatory ultrasounds. They've already navigated a series of state-level abortion restrictions that were designed 
statutorily to impede their right, and now there are people, individuals, physically trying to do the same at the clinic door. Please, okay. And um, state legislators are intentionally impeding access, not only to the ability to get birth control, but just for birth control, uh, uh, birth control um, abortion, um, but for the abortion to even be open and exist and provide care, right? And then, like you said, to then have to go through all these different hoops. I remember myself as a younger person in Ohio with the waiting period. Um, you you still now have this other last part with, with the protesters. And one thing I've noticed just anecdotally from looking around that in some areas, and I don't know how this is the same for you with your clinic in North Carolina, but I know, like, for example, here in Georgia and a friend in Philly, well, at least here in Atlanta, and a friend in Philly, we both have noticed this, and this is also in Chicago, there'll be protesters only at certain uh, facilities. Uh, the protesters, I don't know if other places they rotate, if it's really, is that, but I've been, these are three large urban areas anecdotally, that they'll go to, to maybe centers that, that, that service more um, low income or, or minority populations and other ones that maybe are in nicer areas, you usually don't see protests there. And that was just something that I thought was interesting because you already talked about how frustrating it is for certain groups of women um, to be able to get adequate access to health care in general, and then you add these other additional barriers and layers onto their ability to, to receive, um, you know, access to, to abortion. Um, so I was just wondering if you noticed if there's any, this is the only one that it wouldn't make a difference. But I'm just in general just thinking about what you know of, I mean, does it seem like protesters need to target certain areas more than others, or or are they just, just interested in repeating for everyone just just across the board? I think they're very sophisticated. We interviewed a lot of different um, clinic owners and workers around the country to try and figure out where we were going to film. And my impression mm -hmm. is that they're very sophisticated and good at sussing out weak spots. And that might be places where the police don't want to come and enforce the law so much, maybe because the patient's clientele and the businesses there don't have as much pull, which might have something to do with class or white supremacy. Also, you know, there are also you know, certain areas are one that really struck me was uh, in Missouri, it was a particular clinic that they didn't, they knew for a fact, and we know they knew this because we talked to them on the street, the anti-choice protesters, that they didn't even provide abortions, but they like to stand on the street and scream at people on this busy street with all these cars going by, don't have an abortion, even though he's just going in to get birth control. Don't kill your baby. Mm -hmm. So they have, and they think about the sort of the sight lines, the tactics, the ease of organizing and getting their people to different places, like it's convenient for the local group or local group is particularly radical, They'll, they may choose a clinic that's more convenient to them. I think there are a lot of factors that go into it, but none of them are very nice. And mm -hmm. Operation uh, Save America, which is the sort of spinoff from Operation Rescue and one of the radical anti-abortion groups, has very publicly announced plans to challenge the limits of, of the FACE Act um, by targeting the states that only have one clinic left um, and, and returning to pre-FACE Act-style um, clinic rescue missions. And for listeners who may not be familiar with that, that was um, where they would have hundreds of, and thousands of protesters flood clinics 
um, you know, lock themselves to clinic doors, um, you know, sometimes getting in to the actual clinic and, and um, addressing staff and patients themselves. Uh, really egregious behavior that put a lot of lives um, in significant danger. Um, and, you know, ultimately uh, we've seen real, real violence and danger associated with the anti-abortion movement. I mean, there's been the murder of providers. And the other thing yeah. I think is important to point out is that not all clinics have uh, physical protections around them. You know, the buffer zone idea or bubble zone, either of those um, are not written into federal law. They're not required. So they are affirmative protections that states take to ensure access or as best they can um, for patients and, and providers and such at the clinic. So another thing that factors into, and they are very sophisticated, is, as Lindsay said, and I think, you know, um, should, uh, the time with Kala in the film shows, um, that, you know, they are targeting what they um, feel are very clearly sympathetic um, areas and um, places where they can mm -hmm. make the biggest impact. I mean, shouting outside a, a clinic that doesn't provide uh, abortion is just a way for people to associate yeah. a particular brand with a politically divisive topic. Right, right, right. 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 Hey, yeah, I can jump in on that a little bit. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Very fine. Um, I can jump in and kind of feed off of what Joseph said. Um, I mean, not only can, not only do some states not have a buffer zone, um, there are cities that really don't have ordinances that even are set up to deal with this type of behavior. Um, here in Charlotte, if, you know, we have, property lines and there's ordinances for sound but considering we're a business i have to officially ban them after they've already trespassed before it can even take effect um, i've had protesters run into the office claiming they had an appointment and the police wouldn't do anything even if they were wearing a protest t-shirt until i physically took them off the property and banned them um, in Augusta, Georgia, we have a rising number of protesters there as well because we're the only clinic left in the city. And they can stand on the surrounding sides of the property and surround our parking lot. And unless the property owners call and complain about trespassing, it doesn't matter. They can sit there and get as close to a patient as like a hair width away as long as they're not on my property. What's most alarming about this, next I was going to ask a question, I was going to ask a question because from, you know, some of the that I had read, uh, you know, ahead of our interview, you know, indicated that North Carolina law actually goes beyond, uh, uh, more stringent than the Federal Case Act. Um, and I'm just going to ask Jessica if you can back up this for your business and just really, just, just really quickly, um, I know you just talked about the Case Act, but just like, what, 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 just, 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 what, 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 if anything, can we can we rely on the Safe Act? I mean, considering what's happening right now um, with this current Department of Justice, with Jeff Sessions, like, what protections do we actually have, you know, nationally, and, and, and can we even really rely on them, um, given, you know, the current state of things, uh, as we're seeing with our, our chief law enforcement officer? Well, I think that's, that's an excellent question um, in, in two parts. One, the FACE Act is only as effective as it is enforced, um, and mm -hmm. so there is legitimate concern that um, 
uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions and his Department of Justice um, will not vigorously enforce the FACE Act. Um, and the other point is that, and Callum mentioned this um, some too, is that one of the main critiques of the FACE Act is that it is almost um, always reactionary that, in, you know, an action against a, a clinic or a provider or a person must take place or must take place first before the government can really come in and do anything about it. And that's not a good strategy. Like we want to be preventing this, not responding to violence consistently. Um, and so I, I think that we, um, it's good that some states have, it's really good that some states have broader protections because as a floor, the FACE Act, um, while helpful and has certainly contributed to a decrease um, in, in violence and threats directed at, at providers and patients in those years when it was um, adequately enforced. I mean, you look back at, at when George Bush was, was president, for example, and Safe Act enforcement dropped in, in his administration, um, and then it ticked up during the Obama administration. Um, and so, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that shows political priorities. Um, and one of the things, and I, and I think Lindsay and Cal, I can probably speak to this better than I can, is the fact that um, – uh, anti-abortion, anti-choice folks show up at local city council meetings regardless of what the topic is um, in a lot of cases. Just to be seen, to be heard, to, you know, to attach the issue of abortion in, you know, a consideration of the hospital zoning regulation. We had that recently come up out here in Colorado, for example. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I think one thing that pro-choice advocates need to do and can do a better job of to show support to our patients and, and providers is to be as active on the local level as anti-choice um, advocates have been. I mean, they have stacked school boards. They are involved in these meetings that I mentioned. And um, I just think that we've spent a lot of time focusing on the national and the legislative restrictions that um, the local have, have, gone, have flown under the radar. And that's an area that we can focus some attention on. I can absolutely add to that as well. Um, okay, yeah, go ahead. And here in Charlotte, we definitely have had situations where anti-choice protesters will sign up for city council meetings knowing that, you know, there's a pro-choice item on the agenda or a pro-choice speaker on the agenda just to counter each other. And um, back in February, there was a very large meeting for city council for a citizens forum where one of our more well-known protesters, Split Venom, signed up to speak on behalf of the renewal of a city waste contract and he turned it into a sermon and gospel to kind of just berate those here for pro, the pro-choice group. Um, we've been really lucky to have an organization like Pro-Choice Charlotte and like Mayoral North Carolina helping us out with volunteers to come on a more local level and um, mm -hmm. organize that type of outreach at a grassroots local level. But it's still really hard to break through that type of setup that's already, like Jeff said, it's a stacked board. Um, it's, and it's hard to break through. Yeah. It's a real um, so the dedication of people like Pro-Choice Charlotte, they, the way that they've been able to get their people out to those city council meetings and you know, stating mm -hmm. their case. Absolutely. Yeah. They've done a phenomenal job. 
but but see, like this is the type of stuff people need to like really understand, right? Like folks get all caught up in in, in the way this issue gets played out in the media, the way politicians talk about it, but but that's what I think is so crucial about you know the work that you guys have done and coming together with this documentary, with this with just this coverage about these productive issues in general. Um, so people really understand that the the personal, the human interactions and politics and, and challenges and also opportunities for advocacy, right? We don't always necessarily need a really large national organization to have a, a strong local or regional affiliate come in um, to help organize and mobilize people as well. You, you, you can you can possibly make a difference. But but I think it's really interesting that what you guys just described on top of the fact that you already have this issue of law enforcement uh uh basically, you know, not protecting, you know, enforcing the law to protect people who are being terrorized. Um, you have an organized you know, group that will then go to help affect, you know, local decision making by by making sure whether it's relevant to what the topic is or not, that they're making the present known. And and we've seen that in some of the other contexts and it seems like we have to do you know, and, and, and I think it's hard because as advocates, you're already embattled and doing so much, but it seems like for those who can be allies to say, this is that we really need to become more tuned in to maybe what's needed besides the counter-process, maybe, that, that's showing up, like you're saying, about how, you know, they're able to mobilize people to show up to, to a city council meeting or to some other forum or other setting to really, you know, engage and inform people in, in a different way. And, and it just seems like there's some out-of-the-box organizing type techniques that could be helpful on with getting that message out. One of the things that I was just curious about and thinking about this is this 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 was this, this, this is a experience with with this with um this, the, the women, the people who actually do make it and come through to the to the the center. Like how 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 do we help them though, right? Because this is traumatic. Like for anyone that acts like abortion is a skip to the park, carefree type of thing, it is it's something that will stay with you always, even if it's something that you don't regret doing, there's still an emotional experience regardless, right? I know from my own experience, no matter how I feel about my decision, it's something that's very emotional. Um I can only imagine what it would be like to say and having to make this serious decision, you know, to, to, it's, because it, it's, a, it's a very, it's a very serious, you know, decision that someone takes and decides to go through with, to then have to be traumatized like this and to live in a community and exist someplace where people have no, no care or concerns for your own personal emotional well-being because they think they have some more authority. How do you all do your work, you know, help support the women involved um, to navigate this process. That's a really tough question. <laughs> um, I think the answer of supporting patients and the process of being as supportive as we can for patients and companions and even for our staff, like for staff and coworkers, is something that changes well, yeah, every day. Staff, yeah. Um, it's, like you said, um, it's, I hate to say it's a difficult decision because some people it's not, but it's, it's a heavy mm-hmm. decision. It changes your heavy. life no matter what you do. Yeah, that's um, good, yeah. And it's, to be exposed to that level of vitriol and especially under the guise of religion, which some people, you know, 
really depend on to help them through in their faith, and they depend on that to move forward with their decisions. Um, it's traumatic, like you said. And for some people, the support they need is just the support of being there and having an open ear. Um, for others, it can be to lash out and to be that voice in the crowd saying that, you know, this is not right. Um, mm-hmm. Across the board, though, I really think that try, doing our best to minimize stigma is the best thing we can mm-hmm. do to help mm-hmm. patients out. Mm-hmm. 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 I mean, I was going to add that yep. as a journalist, one of the things that I try to do um, specifically is to, and, you know, that I'm very proud of the work that Rewired does um, in this regard, and I think the the film does a really good job of, is that destigmatizing. I mean, in every conversation that we have around healthcare in this country, um, women's healthcare is a stigmatized conversation, especially when it comes to sexuality um, and and sexual health decisions, regardless if it's abortion. I mean, it's contraception. It is access to family, to paid family medical leave. I mean, things like Mm -hmm. that are all wrapped into that. Um, And so, you know, in in terms of that, um, trying to connect the dots to people who are not as just not as, as in tune with the issue as folks who, who follow it closely um, so that it is right. part of a conversation that doesn't seem to have to happen in hushed tones or in, you know, um, euphemisms or other sorts of ways that it can be very, that it can be discussed the same way we discuss the colonoscopy, for example. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah, like, I, women to tell their own abortion stories in their lives, something that's part of so many mm-hmm. women's lives, and just in our everyday lives with our relationships with other people, talking about our own experiences and being open to listening to those of others, I think is the important part mm-hmm. of changing the culture to reduce the stigma. Yeah, like, I just, just, just been thinking about, like, I've been thinking about us having this conversation and thinking about my own, you know, experience, and I, I, again, I, I recognize that even though it's not necessary to think about being privileged, I just think about the fact that I did not have to encounter any of what I saw or what you all have experienced through the you know, interaction in this work, that it was a relatively, I mean, there are the different, you know, state levels, again, if we talk about prerequisites that have to follow, but in terms of, um, you know, doing with protesters or any real visceral, it's something that I personally never had to, I know it exists, and you know it's wrong, and feel for others. I'm just sitting here just grappling, just thinking about just how distressing the experience already was. It's not something I regret, but it's definitely the word was heavy. It definitely was a heavy, you know, decision and process. I can only imagine, because this is a very serious issue. People aren't just getting speaking, la, 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 yay, look what I did. I mean, you know, it, it is something that, something that people take seriously, and I think the misconception, so I like the part about how we change the culture, um, and really humanizing, you know, people, whether they be the staff who are on support folks, or particularly the women themselves, you know, that, that these are people who are making decisions, and, 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 and one of the things that has really grabbed me as of late, especially since we've had all this discussion in the political side, again, about whether or not we support anti-choice uh, 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 candidates, 
is this notion that, you know, this is an established right. And, and, and we have people who seem to be very, you know, cavalier about the fact that they do not want to enforce, um, you know, fundamental rights and constitutionally protected rights. And, and, and it, it's kind of, um, not kind of, it's rather disconcerting. So I don't, I don't know how you guys, like, without framing the conversation, talking about changing the culture, you know, how do we, how do we just frame this whole scenario? Because a lot of people seem to think about their own personal opinions or beliefs. It's your personal opinions and beliefs should not interfere with my ability, you know, in terms of, you know, liberty and, and, and other protected interests. Like, like, how do we really push through, um, there's, there's this business of this entitlement for folks who choose to put upon others your own personal beliefs, and, and oftentimes it is grounded in your religious beliefs, and it's like, fine, okay, you believe what you believe, but why should that impede on my rights and ability to do something for my own rights? How do we really push back and, and challenge these problematic narratives, particularly as you see so many kids be our allies beginning to capitulate, you know, in, in the pursuit of votes? I think it's important to just get the fact out there that one of the most common responses that I've been getting from documentaries from people who aren't directly involved in the abortion issue was, oh, my God, mm-hmm. I had no idea this was still going on. People think that this died out in the 80s, you know, the kind of mm-hmm. aggressive tactics that we document in the movie, and they haven't. And once people get once people get informed, I think it's the next easy step to become more more radicalized, more engaged about the issues. I think a lot of people just don't realize it's kind of an out of sight, out of mind thing. And I also like to point out to people too that the the question of abortion is about the question of reproductive autonomy generally. So what we know is also mm-hmm. a question of state power. So if the state has the power to dictate when and under what circumstances and who gets to become a parent, then in theory they also have the, the power, and we've seen them exercise this with um, real tragic consequences to decide who does not have the ability. Um, and we've seen that in, in sterilization cases and those practices. Right. And so, you know, abortion is, one, again, one piece of this larger conversation that has been plucked out. And um, I think, again, as Lindsay um, smartly pointed out, that um, the sophistication in the tactics used by the anti-choice movement have helped folks feel like, A, the the, that access is a settled issue and, and that this is sort of weird, why are we still fighting about it, or be just really sort of gobsmacked at the level of the fight that's still going on and the real threat to what should be a no-brainer matter of fundamental human rights. Mm-hmm, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I won't go over ending for folks about, because the question posed in the, in the, in the documentary when you first go to the landing pages, you know, are there any other clinics in the United States that have to hope, look, you know, look for hope? You need to definitely watch and share the documentary to find out what the answer is. However, I would like to ask, how is it, how has it been for you and your staff since you all did this? Has anything changed uh, in terms of the police, you know, whether or not they're doing better? Do you see anything changing on the horizon or, you know, do, 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 do you just need more, you know, local support to, to, to push them to do what they're already supposed to be doing? That's an interesting, very multifaceted answer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, 
it's hard. Uh, we see uh-huh. there are more police bodies out here, but there's not exactly okay. more enforcement. Um, there are there's still a lot of confusion about what to enforce and what not to enforce. Um, mm-hmm. There is heightened aggression that has continued. Um, this, mm-hmm. In the upcoming weeks, we have two parades already planned outside the clinic, including one that's supposed to be slated for 5,000 people in December. And this has been approved by the city government. On the flip side, we have a mayoral candidate, you know, putting out her intention to help us and bring um, bring attention to this violation. We have mm-hmm. uh, a local organization, Pro- uh, Progress NC, that did an entire billboard campaign and had a press conference that surrounded just specifically about clinic access in Charlotte and how it's impeded by these types of anti-choice individuals. Um, mm-hmm. So there is, there are some highlights that come out of this. Um, unfortunately, it's an election year, so I don't want. I'm really trying to keep my hopes up that these aren't going to be empty promises. When is your when is when is the mayoral election? Our mayoral election is later in September, so okay. we should uh, for the least the initial primary here in September. So we're in we're seeing how this turns out. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that could be. I mean, election years could, could, could bring, you know, needed attention, definitely. I mean, it would definitely be, be interesting to follow up with you just to see how, I guess, several weeks or a couple months to see if anything um, does, you know, is there any more improvement. But what, so what, I just want to go back to the so what is the justification for not enforcing this? Because, again, it seems like there there is greater protection of some to some extent under North Carolina law. Why don't the police enforce, like, where does the confusion lie? You'd have to ask them if you can pull them from the shade. Um, One of the things that I think that, that the film does a really good job of showing is, is um, in the how the sort of thing right there, is law enforcement bias and emotional process. I mean, you know, these are communities where the police officer might be sitting next to your protester in church. Um, and so right. there's reluctance maybe to, to, do, you know, to do something about that. Where the law enforcement officer in Fargo really took the time and to not only understand and study the law, but talk to members of the community so across the board. And so you see a very mm-hmm. different attitude in and approach um, outside the two clinics. And there's certainly still persistence there. Patients and providers certainly still have to navigate them. But um, it changes the tone and the, um, I guess, sort of, um, the professors feel, um, it, you know, that they're almost empowered by a lack of individual law enforcement. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, and that's what, what, you know, we don't really think about these issues crossing over in the same way, but when the state issue does, I think listening to talk about how these communities where law enforcement may be, you know, next door neighbors to so and so are they going to me? I mean, we see this, you know, coming up in other instances, particularly when we're talking about, you know, police violence cases as well, you know, or or more recently with the different protests we've seen in Charlottesville, people not wanting to act 
opportunities that may be taking action on the family goes a little bit with stuff up. But you have a real challenge then, right, if people are supposed to be doing a job of public service, um, potentially letting a familial or personal uh, affinity um, impede the ability to do, you know, that action, who then protects, you know, those who are marginalized in the need of protection. Um, when we have this, this, this potential tension happening um, in, in enforcement, um, I just wanted to say, what, what are some of the highlights? What are, what are some of the takeaways that you hope people get from not just the documentary, but the, the collective work going forward? I think that it's really important to me that people realize that abortion rights are being challenged all over the country and that um, there's a lot that people can do at the local level to actually stand up and defend them. And that it's not necessarily the difference between success and failure lying in whether the police department is ideologically on the side of abortion. It has a lot more to do with both the clinic and its people reaching out and communicating and also the community coming and backing that clinic and saying, yes, this is a business, this is a service, this is something we care about and something that we're not going to allow their problems to be brushed under the rug because it's more convenient for the administration. So even if you're not in a community that has a naturally positive, you know, even if you don't think that local law enforcement necessarily has a positive relationship or your city government has a positive view of choice, they still care about what citizens mm -hmm. think, especially when citizens get organized mm -hmm. and press their case in a systematic and strategic way. But I don't want people to feel disempowered by the fact that, you know, we've got Republicans at all these levels of government, especially at the local level. These people need to be reelected. They need every one of us to vote for them and support them if they want to, you know, remain in power. And sometimes control over very local affairs depends on very idiosyncratic things about who's the best organized and most effective. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's a really strong point, too, about focusing on, you know, people, certain things are on the books, this is enforced, this is what it is, not whether or not you agree. Because I think that's where a lot of folks get hung up on. It's like, well, I, I object to this personally, or, or I have a, you know, this, you know, my religion. And it's not that I'm not arguing with you about your personal beliefs. It's that this is a matter of access. There's a right. and needs to be protected. And... I wish it was that simple, but I think that's a really strong point about encouraging communities, encouraging people to organize, you know, to help people understand, you know, those those basics in terms of, you know, protecting rights and enforcement. Um, just thinking about, you know, some of those some of those things that people can't do locally. I know we talked about, you know, possibly going and speaking to city councils or or kind of working and supporting, you know, the local clinic. But 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 what does that actually look like tangibly? Like how 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 can a group, if, if, if folks were concerned, or, or, or how does how does building that relationship between the community and the clinic, how does that work? Or, or what are some of your thoughts about how that could work? What's going on in Charlotte that's really great is they're a really active uh, clinic defense group. They've got an escorting program that uh, operates on the clinic property, and then they've got the, clinical def the clinic defenders for Charlotte. Charlotte that are operating to sort of guide people into into their into the parking lot around the mm -hmm. premises. And then they're also really active in terms of organizing people, giving people the heads up about city council meetings, getting people on the list, that kind of stuff. So if you're 
you want to get engaged, I would say that the most important thing is to sort of locate your local clinic and find out who's doing that kind of work already and getting in touch with them so that you can um, add to their efforts instead of maybe redoubling them. But um, there are lots of different options, and you can reach out to other you know, pro-choice organizations or local Planned Parenthood could probably, even if they're not an abortion clinic, they could probably put you in touch with the right people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So any other, you know, delegate points or, 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 or notable, um, I mean, just thoughts that people should really, you know, take to heart as they're not only, you know, reviewing some of the really great writing at Rewire, but also this really powerful documentary. It's short, you guys. You definitely need to watch it this year. It's here in chaos. Um, but it's so poignant. And, 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 and relevant to, to so much that we see going on. Um, and, and take, take some time to think about like what's happening in terms of choice options in your own community. Um, and see, you know, who might need help with an action or with support on a particular, if there's a certain day where if there's heavier traffic, even maybe if your organization or if you just as an individual can get out there and help. So just thinking about, you know, closing statements, anything that you guys think is really you know, pressing that people, you know, keep in mind and consider, um, not because they're, again, reading some of the wonderful articles on Rewire or, you know, watching the documentary just as we look forward. Um, I think a really interesting point to really think about, especially when you're wrestling with the topic of abortion and your thoughts on abortion, and like we've mentioned before, um, you know, not everyone agrees with them int- these ideas intrinsically because of their own personal faith and beliefs. Um, it's to remind yourself that you can't force your beliefs and your faith on others. Um, this mm-hmm. theoretically should be a country with a separation of church and state, even though that doesn't necessarily happen. Um, but we're still a multicultural country with multiple religions and multiple cultures and backgrounds. And to fully represent the entirety of the United States, that means respecting everyone's different ideas and not necessarily shunning them or harassing them just because you don't agree with them. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, so we don't have anything else, I mean, to really, you know, I think that would be a great place to leave it because I think that's a really strong point. It's at the crux of so much of the work that we see happening right now. I thank you all very much for, one, taking the time, of course, to, to have the conversation, but two, for doing what you do. Um, because, you know, whether you're actually on the, on the front line, you know, at the clinic, you know, helping the staff or, or, or patients, or you're writing about this stuff or doing documentaries, I'm sure this can't be easy, you know, in terms of the, the vitriol you know, across the board, it's all different levels of experience. So, so thank you definitely for, for fighting, I hate to say the good fight, but, but, but really, truly, you know, fighting to make sure that people do have, you know, access. I mean, we are in such a, even though we are in the position we're in now, this has been happening for quite some time, for the last several years at least. And I think I should remember who pointed out, this is not, you know, we act like this was something that happened in the 80s only and then magically got better, but it just hasn't been getting the same amount of attention.
Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, like, 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 I, you know, we read the articles, we see the different challenges to, to, to case law and stuff, but I don't really think that a lot of us really take the time to consider what the direct actual impact is on the ground at particular clinics as, as, as women as staff are, are facing grappling with this issue. So again, thank you all for, for doing this and, and let's get this information out there as much as possible. So thank you.